You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. What goes into making a, a man of God? You know, if you think about making a cake, a real cake, not, uh, not the kind of cake that I would make if I were making one, which is how much can I get this thing? Actually, to be real honest, I would just like call it price chopper, like, hey, can I get a cake? You know, that's what I would do. But I'm not even talking about the box mix. Like if you went old school, and I mean, not only are you putting, there's no like pre-mix, whatever there. I mean, you're putting the baking powder in it and the flour and the eggs and all the other stuff that goes into cake. What goes into making really a servant of God? one that God is calling out and preparing from, for himself. When you look at the Bible, beginning to end, God uses people and he uses everyone. In fact, everyone who knows Christ as Lord has spiritual gifts and God uses every part of the body. And so Dan said it well, this day is not about him. It's really about Jesus. It's really about what God has done in his life and what God is doing in our midst as a church. And, uh, but we're following a biblical pattern where there's a setting apart for uh, pastors and deacons, those individuals who are called into that ministry, and not so much recognizing that, although that's a part of it, but is us committing and dedicating into their life as a church body what God is doing and what God is calling them to. And so I want us to look this morning just what goes into making that servant of God. And, And I want us, this is for Dan, but this is really for all of us because it's for everyone who knows Christ. What is God wanting to do in in your life as you serve him. So don't just sit back and say, well, that was a nice thing for Dan. And, you know, and uh, it was nice. I had some nice cake at church or whatever. This is for all of us as well. Okay. So take your Bible, if you would, and look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, the apostle, is at the very end of his life. And he's writing a letter to his young, well, probably not so young protege. Um, We don't really know how old Timothy was at this stage of life. But Paul is advanced in years, and he just has a sense that his time has come. I mean, lots of people have tried to kill him already because he was truthfully being willing to live a life of sacrifice that honored God and that honored Jesus. And because of it, a lot of people tried to kill him. He was stoned and and, uh, just left for dead multiple times, beaten and all kinds of crazy things. And he just kind of knew that his days on this earth were passing quickly. And so he writes to Timothy this letter that we now in the Bible call 2 Timothy. And it's words of encouragement. It's it's words of challenge. It's words that he kind of, that are priority that he wants Timothy to hang on. And, And I want us this morning to notice three things that go into any of us serving God. Three things, not four, not five, but three. So look what Paul says in in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says this. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul prayed for Timothy constantly. He says this in verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, just like stoking a fire. You know, build up that flame, he's saying, um, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, or some of your translations might say, of a sound mind. Hey, pray with me, would you? Father, we commit this time to you, to honor you, and Lord, we are grateful for, truthfully, all the servants that you place in your church body that, uh, that, that show your love, that communicates hospitality and wisdom. And Lord, you give every church those gifts that are needed for it to accomplish your purpose and for the blessing of that church and really the blessing of the community. And we're grateful for what you've done and put in Dan's life. And today, Father, we, we commit to setting him apart. But Father, before we do that, I pray that you would take the truths of these words. May they be about us as we individually, all of us here this morning, are trying to hear and listen to you and uh, as well as honor Dan. And so I pray, Father, that you would take these truths and press them into our soul today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So three ingredients. It's a lot easier to kind of outline what it is to be a servant of God or what goes into making a, a person who serves God, a man of God, if you would. And uh, there's not a lot of things in here, but there's three. And the first one I want you to notice is that it is a sincere faith, a genuine faith. That's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now lives in, inside of you. When Paul says, I look at you, Timothy, he says, I'm convinced that there is an honest-to-goodness, genuine, sincere faith in your heart. It is not fake. It is not hypocritical. It is a real deal, a very sincere, not play-acting, not pretending, but a very genuine faith is what he's saying. Just like all of us when we were kids played dress-ups, and I don't know what your thing was, you know, exactly what you dressed up as a little kid, uh, those things, but uh, Paul says you're not playing dress-up as a Christian. You're not going to church on Sunday and acting the part of a Christian, playing dress-up, if you will, but then going and living your life the other six days out of the week as a hypocrite, somebody completely different. He says, your faith, it's the real deal, genuine, honest-to-goodness, sincere faith. The real thing. And Paul says, I'm convinced of that. I'm sure of that faith. How do we know things for sure? Dan just walked you through a process in his life, as so many have done over the years, in the college years, trying to figure out, you know, it, we all do it. Some of us catch up to it at, at, when we're in college, some of us a little bit later, but all of us at some point in our life where we realize, you know what? This world does, does not work the way that I thought it did. And it sure doesn't work the way that I think it ought to work. And we run into those things, whether it's relationships or it's other things, honestly, sometimes governmental things and neighbors and all of that. And we have to begin to explore and figure out what reality is and what's real and how those things work. And Paul says, Timothy, as I look at your faith, I've examined it, and I am convinced that you have the real deal kind of faith. He says, I can see it. I can smell it. I I, I've been with you. I've known you. I've traveled you. I have seen that faith at work in your life. You see, the kind of faith that Paul is talking about with Timothy, it was the genuine faith because it wasn't a faith that just believed in God. And it wasn't a faith that just said, well, I'm going to... I, I'm a go-to-church kind of faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adhere to that because that's the way I was raised or what I was brought up in. 
Paul says, this was different. This was something that lived and dwelt inside of you. It is a living faith, a faith in a living God that goes beyond mere belief to an actual relationship. There is a difference between believing in God and knowing God. What God wants for people to experience is not just a, a distant, abstract, well, I believe there's a God in heaven, and I believe if I do these things, and as Dan kind of walked you through his own testimony, his own story, it's a story that's common for a lot of people, that a lot of people believe in God, but for them, God is kind of out there somewhere. And, and, and yes, they pray, and yes, they believe those facts about God, but it's not a intimate, it's not a personal, it's not a living relationship where that faith dwells inside of them. And for Paul, he says, Timothy, I've seen this. Your life has changed. You live out your faith. You have a relationship with the living Lord, and I'm convinced I have seen evidence all over your life. As we come this morning, and we went through a lengthy process with Dan and even involved Lisa with a good piece of it. I mean, for those of you that are a part of River, we have been working on this across the board in our church for months of just exploring who those in our church that God has called out or may be calling out and that we should, you know, work through this process. And there was a lengthy examination process and, and a lot of questions, a lot of examination, and that happened. And one of the things, one of the qualifications we talked about, in fact, the Bible talks about is that a person must be of a good reputation outside of, uh, of the church, outside of those that they're hanging with. In other words, coworkers or neighbors and, and people that see your life that can have a sense that, no, that person's the real deal. They really do act in love. Not that they're perfect, because Dan is far from perfect. Coworkers probably really know that. And your wife knows that, and your kids know it especially. Family, depending on if they like you or not, will you know, kind of turn a blind eye, you know, just got to love. But we all know that, right? I'm not perfect, and he said so well. But there is a level of living out our faith that Jesus has changed our life, that we've gone from hate to love, from jealousy and envy to a selflessness and a love for those individuals, from anger, from all of that other stuff that because of our relationship with the living Lord that Jesus lives inside of us and He changes our life. That's the first ingredient and it comes to making a servant of God, a, a man of God. That's ingredient number one. And Paul, out of that, he says, it's so interesting, but he, he in verse eight, 6, he says, For this reason, now that I've recognized that you have a faith that started with your grandmother and your mother and is now in you, he says, because of that faith, I want you to stir up that gift that's in you because I put my hands upon you. In a few minutes, when we bring Dan up, I'm going to put my hands upon Dan, and I'm going to pray over him. I'm going to do it symbolically over his head, because in the Old Testament, there were three types of people that were set apart to, to, to ministry in a special way. They were prophets, priests, and kings, and they were all anointed with oil, and it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now, Paul the Apostle was in a different place than I'm in. He, he through him, God actually gave Timothy the spiritual gift of teaching and of shepherding and all the preparation into Timothy's heart. But Paul was an apostle, and he had a unique kind of 
thing going on in his life. He had apostolic authority, and we could spend time talking about that and a whole lot of things that you would probably, eyes would glass over and just be like, okay, Sean, I, yeah, I'm like done. Can we just move on to cake and cookies and punch? So we're not going to dig into that. But this morning, as I do that, there's not that level of laying on of hands that Timothy experienced with Paul. But what I'm going to do is just merely symbolic out of recognizing Scripture. Paul, when he set Timothy apart under the authority of God, there was something supernatural the Holy Spirit did in Timothy's life. And for us today, we recognize that the Holy Spirit has already done that and is doing that in Dan's life, and we're just recognizing that publicly. But what's significant is that it's out of that living relationship with Christ that Dan testified to just a moment ago. That's the, the part of the, where our gifting and our ministry comes from. It's, there's a connection between our salvation experience and our salvation, our relationship with Christ, that we live that out in the calling and the ministry of God. The two are tied together. So, Dan, I would say to you this morning, as you think about your call of God in your life, it's rooted to the, all the way back to your college days of you really exploring and knowing Jesus personally. And what we're doing is just kind of putting the final crossing of the T and the dotting of the I upon that. And Paul's advice to you is to stir that gift up. Not let the coals grow cold, but just like we would as a campfire to stir those things up in your heart. Second thing I want you to recognize this morning in the making of a servant of God or a man of God is not only does it take genuine, sincere faith, but it takes a, a Christian character. Look at, look at verse 2. Paul is writing to Timothy, and we don't have nearly enough time to talk about all of, of, of Timothy, but he's giving me advice as a young pastor, as a minister is a servant of God, and so I'm just kind of cherry-picking two or three passages here. And the second one that I want you to notice is in chapter 2, verse 22, when Paul says this, so he says to Timothy, he says, flee youthful passions. Anybody remember youthful passions? Things come to your mind, youthful passions? We got the picture, right? Okay, this is 2,000 years ago. People are the same then as today, youthful passions then, just like today. And Paul says, uh, remember those youthful passions? Run away from that stuff. Instead, pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. By the way, youthful passions don't involve righteousness. They don't involve a lot of love. They don't involve a lot of peace. They don't involve that stuff. He says, let that stuff go. And instead, you need to be pursuing these things. And do it along with those, in verse 22, who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Not hypocrisy, but pure. And he tells them, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. They just lead to fights. And he says in verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be, dare not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Keep that in mind as you have the student in class that drives you crazy. We can only imagine as a teacher. Be kind, right? Kids, when you're dad, kindness, dad. <laughs> Remember, kind to everybody. Be kind. That can be a challenge. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. And God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses. In other words, people who 
are opposing the truth of God, that the, the servant of God is to be patient and kind and speaking truth into their life with the hopes that they will one day say, what in the world am I thinking? What am I doing? They will come to their senses and in the process escape from the snare, the trap of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I want you to notice that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you've already passed the litmus test of being qualified as a servant minister of God. But Timothy, this very day, you need to continue to run away from all that junk. And you need to pursue these other things. See, this isn't like sports figures when they make it into the Hall of Fame. This is not like the Baseball Hall of Fame or Basketball Hall of Fame or any of that where people look back, wow, could that guy really hit the ball? Or, oh my goodness, do you remember that? And talk about the good old days or the glory days for anybody from the 80s and was a Bruce Springsteen's fan, you know? None of that old stuff. Paul is saying, Timothy, Timothy, your character today matters. In fact, you still need to keep your eye on the ball when it comes to your character. And so I would say to all of us, it doesn't matter how you've lived your life the last year, the last week, the last month, the last 50 years. What matters is how you're living your life today. And Paul says, run from that junk. Run because it's dangerous. The enemy is actively trying to capture us, actively trying to snag and ensnare our soul. Not just people that don't know Christ, but even Christians. And the pastor's responsibility is to help people to understand truth, to work through that, because it's through the lies, through the, the confusion that the enemy captures our thinking and, and our hearts and our souls, and we become a tool, an instrument in his hand, and the qualified pastor is somebody that is able to communicate that truth patiently, carefully. And so the second thing I want you to recognize is not only is it a sincere faith, but it's a Christian character. Because without the character that Paul's talking about, we're not in a position to be able to lead people into truth. You see, that truth has to live inside of us. That truth has to be real in our life today that's a changed life. And so we cannot separate out a person's ministry if you will, let's put it in secular terms, a person's job, what they do publicly, from how they live privately. As pastors, as ministers of the gospel, those two things go together. Because the lies that people are entrenched in are, involve sin and deception and all of that junk. And if we're caught in the middle of that, we're not able to help them out of that either. And so I would say, Dan, the second thing for you to think about as you begin, continue that ministry that God's begun in your heart is it not only starts with that faith, and that faith with a gift that, that there's salvation that leads to the ministry gift that God put in you to stir that up, but secondly, the second ingredient in the cake is that character of your life. Watch your character. Continue to give yourself to that. And I would say to all of us, that matters. Character counts. We can't coast on glory days. We have to live that out today. Third ingredient. Not only is it Christian character, not only is it a sincere faith, 
But the third ingredient is, is the Word of God. Look what chapter 3, verse 14. We don't have time to look at the beginning part of it, but Paul describes how messed up people are going to be in their world. And honestly, all you got to do is read today's news and you'll see that it's a messed up world. All kinds of things going on. In verse 14, he says, But as for you, you're supposed to live differently, man. You continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. I love that. It's not just a matter of believing the right stuff, but don't forget the people that you learned it from. You see, faith and, and true spiritual faith is meant to be in a conduit. It's meant to be wrapped up in people's lives. And Paul says, don't forget not only the truth and what you believe, but even the people that you believed it from, because they will help you, help you stay on that straight course. And he says in verse 15, and how from a childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Just as Dan was challenged to read the Bible for himself, most people down things that they've never really read or heard from. They just have heard other people, oh yeah, don't believe that stuff. And they don't even, they've never even investigated on their own. The Bible is, is, is what's able to make us wise to salvation. And Paul says, don't continue in those things. But here's what I want to get to. In verse 16, all Scripture, talking about the Bible, every bit of it, Genesis to Revelation, is breathed out by God. It's literally God's breath. God, just as when we speak, we can't speak without breathing, without air passing over our vocal cords. The Word of God is literally from the heart of God, if you will, through His vocal cords to us. And it's profitable. It's good for four things. Teaching telling us the right way to begin with, reproof, which means, hey, you messed this up. As a teacher, you understand that, Dan. This is the way you do it. And then when students try it and they blow it, that's the reproof. Hey, here's where you messed up. And by the way, here's how you fix it. That's number three, correction. And then the fourth one is training in righteousness. That's where you go a little bit deeper and you help the student through learning through those mistakes and you go even deeper. That's what the Bible is meant for. We're just like that. God had the blueprint of life. We blew it. He put it out there to teach us. We blew it. He reproves us. He comes and He corrects us. And then He trains us even deeper. And it's the Bible that He uses to do that in our life. And here's the ultimate aim of that. Verse 17, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We all know, we have a bunch of school teachers in the house, and you guys are well acquainted with, you know, examinations and qualifications and regents and core competencies and whatever else is going to come after core competencies and whatever else comes after that that comes after, right? All of that stuff. And all of it is to try to get at the, the standards, to know that, you know, education and everything is being helped effectively so that people would be competent and well-equipped for that part of their life. What Paul is telling us is that the Bible is what we need that makes us competent and well-equipped for life. Dan's uh, boys are going to go on a backpacking trip here next uh, week, and they will load up in their backpacks all kinds of stuff, sleeping bags, stove, and matches, and first aid kits, and flashlights, and uh, all kinds of stuff so that they are 
well-equipped. That's what this idea is. It's the idea of outfitting uh, for, uh, for an enterprise, uh, like on a, a trip, like any of us will go on a road trip, make sure we got all the stuff, including the munchies, so that we're ready to go. For a pastor, the equipping is simply the Word of God. Dan, as you don't have a formal seminary education, your education lies elsewhere, Paul says, it's okay. It's okay that if you've not been to Bible college and seminary and have a PhD in Greek and Old Testament, because you have the Word of God. It's the Word of God that equips, that prepares you, that gives you what you need. You know, all of us in life face things that we feel ill-equipped for, right? Anybody in the room felt ill-equipped? My mom never told me that. Dad never told me. I don't know how. I mean... You get married and quickly you realize you're in over your head if you get married. You have kids and then you're really like, where's the instructions? Do I turn them up this way or that way? You learn pretty quickly once they start going, you know. You're like, whoa, that's the bottom. Better stick something underneath there. Catch that. They just ill-equipped. And as a pastor, I can say trying to help people work through things of life, it's a challenge. And what God says is not only is this word from God, and not, which means not only is it God-breathed, that it's reliable, it's inspired, it's true, you can go to the bank on it, but beyond that, and we don't always talk about this, it's sufficient. It's enough. We don't need all the other stuff, he's saying. What we need is this. And so I would say, Dan, as you're going to face things in your life and in your ministry, that you're going to be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Sean never told me about this one. And I've had a lot of that in my life. But what I can tell you is this book is sufficient to cover whatever you need. Early on in the chapter 1, we didn't talk about it, but he talks about that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of either a sound mind or self-control, kind of a double-meaning word there. You'll face times, Dan, where you'll be like, I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I know how to wade into this. Remember that God put a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, not a fear, but a heart of love for Him and for people, and of power, of ability, and of a sound mind that involves kind of a self-control, kind of a stabilizing force. And it's God's Word with that Holy Spirit in you that makes you prepared and qualified and well-able. And truth be known, guys, for all of us, that's what prepares us for life. That's why so many people begin looking when life's not working out, and just like, what do I do? And they begin, well, I may as well at least give God a shot. I've tried everything else. I've tried helpful hints from Heloise and, you know, every other Dear Abby, and I've tried... I've tried crowdsourcing on Facebook. What should I do? And, you know, that didn't work out too well. Maybe I'll give God a shot and see. And when people hit that stage and begin taking seriously those things, the answers are in here. And it changes your life. And so all of us, it simply starts with genuine faith. God builds that Christian character. And then the final tool in the tool belt, the final ingredient in the cake is He's given us His Word. That's what we need. Not to become groupies of some celebrity, whether secular or religious, but it's God and His Word. 
And the, the final thing at this point is when Timothy challenges, or Paul challenges Timothy, here's now what you do with that. And this is verse 4, and I'm almost done. Based now, he's, Paul's writing Timothy, and he says, Now that I've told you all this stuff, here's what you're going to do with it. In verse, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's pretty serious when you're evoking God as the witness. Before God and before Jesus Christ, I'm charging you. And Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom, couldn't make this any more solemn if he tried, he tells him, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. Here's why. The time is coming when people will not endure sound or healthy, wholesome teaching, but instead having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Oh, we live in a day and age of that way. People get ideas, and rather than truly evaluating, they just go to the people that kind of reaffirm what they want to hear. You ever have somebody that asks you for advice, and when you give them their advice, your advice, then they kind of reject it? Really, they just wanted you to sanction what they had already decided, right? We do that as people. Paul's like, that time's coming. They're not really going to want to know. And so teach that word, preach it, communicate with patience, because there are times coming where they're going to just kind of be looking around for the answers that they really want to believe in their own heart. And in verse 4, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, clear-thinking, headed, heart, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Then God charges you to do this. He's put that sincere faith inside of you, that Christian character that He's built. He's given you the Word of God, and He says, fulfill your ministry. Not somebody else's ministry, not copying anybody else, but to run that race that's in front of you that he alludes to in here just a minute in the verse, but to fulfill that, to communicate the truth of God's Word. I personally am grateful for all that you do for our church body in here. And I mean, being the treasurer and taking care of so many things, you're so excellent at all of that. But what Paul says at the end of the day, as a pastor, he says, your job is to be about people and the Word of God, the Word of that truth in people's lives. So whether that's a, a conversation on a Sunday morning with somebody, helping them to know and understand the truth of God's Word, whether that's having coffee with somebody, whether that's talking with a neighbor or even a coworker, whether that's being here up front, opening and sharing God's Word or leading a life group or whatever, he says, your job is to communicate that truth. And lots of different venues, lots of different formats. Preach, share, communicate that word. Not with judgmentalism. A lot of churches truly are judgmental. Paul said, do it with patience, right? Earlier we've heard we're supposed to be kind, speaking truth. We're supposed to be out there, reprove and rebuke. That's a challenge, exhort, which is, means, a, hey, you can do it, and urging them and helping them to see. But do it with kindness. So Dan, as you pursue that calling more and more, God will use you and put you in those situations. And as a church, that's our job, 
It's to help for the pastors to be those instruments. Are they the only ones that can teach and share God's word? Absolutely not. But for them, it is a non-negotiable priority. And God calls to that. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.